We're going to get into the Word today, and uh, we are in our teaching series, The Great I Am, and we are lifting up Jesus as the Great I Am in our lives. Of course, we trace this all the way back to God introducing himself to Moses and saying, my name is I Am, which then Moses called him Yahweh, which in Hebrew means he is, and then the Latin translation or transliteration of Yahweh is Jehovah, which is why we sang the song Jehovah today. So Yahweh is the introduction of God as I am. And then Jesus said to the people before Abraham was, I am. He was making a bold declaration that he was one with the Father, that Jesus was God in the flesh, and and that he was equal with the Godhead. And we've been looking at seven declarations of Jesus where he said, I am, and then gave us a metaphor. And today is actually part seven. It's the last one. So we've already looked at that Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We looked at that Jesus is the door of the sheep. We've looked at that Jesus is the good shepherd that Jesus is the light of the world, and then last Sunday, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So we've got six done. We've got one more. The last declaration of Jesus is, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. So if you've got your notes, you can find your notes in your bulletin or on the church app, or they're attached to this video on our website, or they're attached to this podcast if you're listening to the audio. Here's our big picture point today. Fruitfulness is the requirement of all disciples of Christ, members of the church community. If you're a disciple of Christ, if you're a member of the church community, fruitfulness is a requirement. And our fruitfulness is only found in our connection to Jesus. So that's what we're going to go after today. So let's start with this idea that fruitfulness is the requirement. Uh, Because we can struggle with this one because as followers of Jesus, we are grace people, right? We are saved only by the grace of Jesus, not by our works. There is nothing we can do to redeem ourselves. There's nothing we can do to make up for our sin. It's only the blood of Jesus given as a free gift to us that redeems us from our sin and gives us a new life in God. So we tend to stay away from works. We want grace. But once we've received grace and we've been born again and made new in God, things are supposed to follow. And so it doesn't mean that we look to works to save us, but we look to things to say, hey, if I'm a true follower of Christ, the Bible says there are some things that are supposed to follow after that. And one of those things is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is the requirement. Listen to John the Baptist. Before Jesus ever started preaching, John the Baptist said, The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is being cut down and thrown into the fire. A little while later, Jesus repeated the same sentence almost word for word. Matthew seven nineteen. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Towards the end of the ministry, Jesus is walking along. He sees a fig tree. And in Matthew 21, 19, it says, And seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves alone. 
And he said to it, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. All right, Jesus makes it abundantly clear. He saw a tree with no fruit on it, and he cursed it, and it withered up and died. Fruitfulness is a requirement. It's an expectation. I found this quote from Brian Houston, and I know, unfortunately, his ministry has been marred by controversy and different things, but he did raise up a great church and lead a lot of people to Jesus. But this quote really jumped out at me. Brian Houston said, when people ignore the responsibility of living called as well as saved, they see things like fruitfulness and influence as peripheral. Salvation comes with responsibility. When people ignore the responsibility of living called as well as saved, right? So if we think that the whole point of the Christian life is just to live saved, then it's all about me. I'm being blessed. I've got a good life now. God's been good to me. His blood's covered me. I'm blessed. All that other stuff like ministry and fruitfulness and doing things for the kingdom, that's all peripheral. That's all just like extra stuff on the side, right? That's just the add-on to the main meal. The main meal is I'm blessed. No. We are not just saved. We are called. And if we are called then salvation comes with responsibility. And things like influence and fruitfulness are not side things. They're main things. And so my challenge to us today as a church is to begin to look at fruitfulness as the main thing and what that would look like in our lives as we make that shift in our lives. So our main passage today is John chapter 15. So that's what we're going to study from. And where are we at? Well, we're still at the Last Supper. So if you remember last week, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We are at the Last Supper. We're still at the Last Supper. So Jesus is still giving his final teachings to his his disciples. And what we find here in John 15 is another mashal. You guys remember the Hebrew word mashal? We learned it when we were talking about... uh, uh, Which one were we talking about? Oh, we were talking about the door of the sheep and the good shepherd was a mashal. What's the difference between a mashal and a parable? Well, a parable has one metaphor and one main point, whereas a mashal has multiple metaphors and multiple main points. So in John 15, we have another mashal. We have another uh, uh, teaching with multiple metaphors. And I want to read the first three verses, Antonio. I actually changed this, so you're going to have to find verses two and three for me, okay? So, but let's start from verse one. Jesus teaching his disciples. You just got to scroll down. They're down there. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Interesting, of all seven declarations of Jesus, the I am declarations, this is the only one that he includes the Father in. So we actually have multiple metaphors here that we're going to dig into from this declaration. The first one is the vine dresser. So Jesus says God the Father is the vine dresser. Well, what's a vine dresser? Well, it's a farmer that works a vineyard. And the vine dresser takes care of the vines so that the vines will be fruitful. 
And so what does Jesus say that God the Father does as the vine dresser? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And the branches that bear fruit, he prunes so that they might bear even more fruit. So what is God doing? He's continually working the vine. He's breaking off the branches that aren't producing any fruit. He's pruning off the branches that are because his ultimate goal is fruitfulness. God is the vine dresser. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 6, Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now the one who plants and the one who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building, right? God brings the growth. He is the vine dresser. We help out. We are fellow laborers. We're kind of like the itinerant farmers on the field, right? God's the vine dresser, but he brings us in to help. And so we might plant seed. We might water. We might do this or that. But it's God the Father that brings the growth, right? So when we share the gospel and somebody gets saved, we're being a co-laborer, but it's God that brought them to salvation. When we're doing discipleship and somebody grows in maturity in their faith in Jesus, yes, we're being a co-laborer by doing discipleship, like facilitating a masterpiece group. But it's God that's bringing the growth in somebody's life because God is the vine dresser. And why is fruitfulness required? Well, listen to 1 Corinthians 9, 7. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not consume some of the milk of the flock? If God is the vine dresser, he wants the fruits. And so fruitfulness is required. Our next metaphor is Jesus says, I am the true vine. Why did it matter that Jesus had to put the word true in front of the word vine? That implies that there's a false vine, right? So why did Jesus say this? Well, think about his audience. He's talking to 11 men, his disciples that have been following him. Judas has already gone off to betray him. So there's 11 guys left at the dinner table. He's talking to 11 Hebrew men, 11 Jewish men. And because they were Hebrew men, they already had a metaphor for vine in their heads and in their hearts. If we go back to the Old Testament, Psalms uh, 80 says, You removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep roots and filled the land. Well, who did he deliver out of Egypt and then clear the nations out of the promised land so they could be established? The nation of Israel. So this vine that he brought out of Egypt was the nation of Israel. Hosea 10.1, the prophet says, Israel is a luxuriant vine. He produces fruit for himself. The more his fruit, the more altars he made. The richer his land, the better he made the memorial stones. Right? Israel was a luxuriant vine that was intended to produce fruits. Jeremiah chapter 2, the prophet says, Yet I planted you as a choice vine, a completely faithful seed. 
How then have you turned yourself before me into the degenerate shoots of a foreign vine or a wild vine? So for any Hebrew that grew up learning the scriptures, they already had a metaphor for the vine. It was Israel. It was the nation of Israel. That was the source of everything is I'm connected to the nation of Israel. And as long as I'm connected to that identity, that is my source. And now here is Jesus saying something completely radical. He's saying Israel isn't your source. I'm your source. Israel isn't the vine. I'm the true vine. You are not going to find your fruitfulness in identifying yourself with the nation of Israel. You're going to find your fruitfulness in identifying yourself with me. Are you guys hearing this? This is the significance of the declaration that Jesus said, I am the true vine. The moment he said that, everything changed. Everything changed. And then the third metaphor is the branches. Who's the branches? We are. Now, I don't have time today. I was going to read a big passage from Romans chapter 11, but I'm going to skip that, Antonio. It's in your notes, so you can go study it yourself. But essentially, Paul is using the metaphor of an olive tree instead of a vine, but still the same idea that he says we were part of a wild olive tree. Just like when Israel abandoned God and sinned, they became a wild vine. When we are apart from God and living in sin, we are a part of a wild olive tree. But the Bible says when we believed in God, when we had faith, we are broken off of the wild tree and we are grafted into the cultivated tree. And Paul really knew his agriculture because he knew that normally when you were going to graft something, you would take it off the cultivated and graft it to the wild. But Paul said in God's kingdom, it's the opposite of nature, where we take you off the wild and we graft you into the cultivated. And he said before, it was only the Jewish people that were upon this olive tree, this cultivated olive tree. He says, but because of their lack of faith, they have been broken off and we have been grafted in instead. But he still gives hope to the Hebrew people. He says, any of them who choose to have faith, God will graft them back in. And Jews and Gentiles alike together, we will be grafted together. But we are the branches broken off of a wild tree, grafted into the cultivated tree of Jesus. And we are the branches of the vine. All right? So we've got this. We've got the vine dresser. We've got the true vine that changes everything. And we've got ourselves as the branches. So now we're going to read the rest of Jesus' teaching here in John chapter 15. But I want you to listen for two words, because these are the two words we're going to break down together today. I want you to listen for remain and fruit. In these few verses we're going to read together, you're going to hear the word remain ten times, and you're going to hear the word fruit six times. Remain and fruit. Here we go, John chapter 15, picking it up in verse 4. Jesus says, remain in me. And I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that your, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Fruitfulness is the requirement, right? He says, any branch that doesn't bear fruit is going to be broken off, gathered up, and thrown into the fire, which is an eternal declaration of hell. So that's, that's a reality that we got to grapple with. Fruitfulness is the requirement. But let's start with this word, remain. A lot of translations, you'll also hear the word abide. Interesting, in the New American Standard, the 1995 version said abide, and now the 2020 version says remain. It's the Greek word meno, and it means to stay or to continue to exist or to dwell in a lodging. So one of the ways to understand Greek words, especially when Jesus uses them, is to study what's called the Septuagint. If you're not familiar, Septuagint is just a fancy word that means 70. Um, and it was, it was called that because 70 scholars worked together to translate the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. And so a lot of Jewish people in Jesus' day, when they studied the Old Testament, they studied it in Greek instead of studying it in the original Hebrew language. And so if we look for this Greek word meno in the Old Testament, we would look for it in the Septuagint. And what we would find is that there is an eternal meaning to it. In Isaiah 40 and verse 8, it says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. That word stands is meno. The word of God stands or remains forever. In Isaiah 66, 22, For just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I make, will endure before me, that word endure is meno, will remain declares the Lord, so will your descendants and your name remain. So this word meno has an eternal characteristic to it. That when we say remain, we're talking about remaining, not just right now. We're talking about remaining forever. So Jesus knew when he used this word that he was giving an eternal connotation. Remain in me, not just for now, but forever. But there's also a metaphorical connotation to the word meno because it also refers to dwelling like living in a house. And so this is where we get our mixed metaphors, right? We already got Jesus as the vine. Now we have Jesus as the house. When he says remain in me, what he's saying is live in me. Live in my house. Dwell in my house. Live in my kingdom. Stay with me. And what do we read here? You see you got uh, those blanks in your notes. We are to remain in Jesus. We are to remain in his word. 
and we are to remain in his love. Come on, remain with Jesus, remain with his word, remain with his love. So what does that mean in our lives? It means that we should be purposeful. Going back to that picture of clinging to the Father's neck, we should be purposeful in the way we spend our time, in the way we prioritize our time, daily and weekly, that we're remaining in Jesus, that we're dwelling in his house, that we're remaining in his word, that, that feeding off of his word is a daily discipline, and that we're remaining in his love, that we are living in the rhythms of his love. This is why the rule of life is so important as a part of the masterpiece process, because we're learning to live in the rhythms of his love. And Jesus says, if you will remain in my love, just like I remained in the Father's love, well, what did remaining in the Father's love get Jesus? Eternity in the presence of God. So Jesus says, remain in my love. Are you guys following me? So Jesus calls us to remain with him. We have to stay connected to the vine. If we lose our connection to the vine, we lose our only source of fruitfulness. We must remain. And the second word is fruits. It's the Greek word karpos. And he says, you will produce much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So what is the proof of being a disciple of Jesus? It's producing much fruit in our lives. We will be known by our fruits. So the first thing I want to say, and this is not in your notes, this is a freebie, is that fruit is visible. Fruit is visible. You can walk up to any fruit tree and you can see whether it has fruit or not. Right? Jesus didn't walk up to the fig tree and see that it had no fruit and think to himself, well, it's really trying. It's got a lot of faith. It goes to church a lot. So there must be some fruit coming. No, there was no fruit. Fruit is visible. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. He says it twice. He says it in 7.16, and he says it again in 7.20. You will know them by their fruits. So the first thing we have to, to, to come to accept is that fruit is visible. People can see it. Fruit is not just a private thing between me and Jesus. Well, Jesus knows how much I'm growing. Well, Jesus knows. No, it's visible. People can see it. But what does fruit mean, right? If fruit is so important, then we better have a good grasp on what it means. And so I went and I did a word study on this word karpos throughout the New Testament because I wanted to fully understand what does this mean that we are to be fruitful. Now, I don't alliterate very often, but every once in a while the Holy Spirit comes upon me and all my points start with the same letter. All right, and since we started with remain, which is an R word, God gave me three R words to understand what does it mean to be fruitful. And our first R word is righteousness. Righteousness. Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes this, And this I pray, that your love may overflow still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment 
so that you may discover the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. The fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. How do we see this fruit in our lives? We operate in knowledge and discernment, and we discover the things in God that are excellent. We are sincere and blameless in our faith before Christ, and we will see the fruit of righteousness. How about Hebrews chapter 12? Uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking in uh, the context of a father disciplining his children. And it says, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant but painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The disciplining of God the Father in our lives produces the fruit of righteousness. Romans 6.22, But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefits. You say, Pastor, the word fruit isn't in this verse because the word benefit is karpos, the same word, the scholars just decided to translate it benefit here, but it's the same thing. You derive your fruits resulting in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. And John the Baptist said, therefore, produce fruits consistent with repentance. So what does this mean? What is the fruit of righteousness? Well, I tried to describe it like this. It's character. There should be a visible change in your character as the fruit of righteousness is, is being produced in your life. It's our behavior. It's the way we act and behave. It's our sanctification. What does sanctification mean? It means that God is making us a little more holy every day. We're never going to be perfectly holy until we're in heaven with him. So don't think we're preaching perfection. But sanctification means a little bit more every day. He's making us a little bit more holy. That's why we read that this discipline from the Father produces holiness in our lives. We can also look at it as the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I think brotherly love's in there. I think I got that one. I don't know. Okay, the fruits of the Spirit. That would be the fruit of righteousness being produced in our lives as we see more love and more peace and more joy and more goodness and more faithfulness. So the first idea of fruit is that there is a visible change in our character and our behavior. People can see it. There is fruit being produced in your life. That's the first R. Let's get the second R. It is reproduction. Reproduction. Right? We know agriculturally that the purpose of fruits is for a tree to reproduce itself. Right? Fruits protects the seeds. When the fruit falls on the ground, it's sweet, and so animals eat it with the seeds. 
Okay, we're really the only animal that spits the seeds out or figured out how to grow it without the seeds, all right? But it was created so that animals would eat it along with the seeds, and then they would poop the seeds out, and now the seeds are surrounded by their own fertilizer, and they will turn into a new tree, all right? So the purpose of fruit is reproduction. Luke 1.42, Elizabeth cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit, carpos, of your womb. So we're literally talking about reproduction. Having children is fruits. But it's not just having children. Look at John chapter 4. Jesus says, Do you not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I tell you, raise your eyes and observe the fields, that they are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruits for eternal life, so that the one who sows and the one who reaps may rejoice together. What does it mean that we as harvesters are reaping fruit for eternal life? It's evangelism. It's winning souls. So producing fruit, yes, we can reproduce children, but we can also reproduce souls through evangelism, and we are gathering fruit for eternal life. Romans 1.13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, just as among the rest of the Gentiles. Right? Paul is writing to Rome, and he's saying, I want to get there. I've been prevented so far, but I want to get to Rome because I want to obtain some fruit there just like I have amongst the rest of the Gentiles. Well, what was the fruit that Paul obtained among the Gentiles? Saved souls. He preached the gospel. People gave their lives to Jesus, and he planted churches. He did eventually get to Rome. It was in chains, and he did obtain fruit. It was on house arrest as he preached the gospel to both his captors and to people who came to see him, and he obtained fruit. So what is reproduction? It's evangelism. It's winning souls. So what does it mean to be fruitful in the kingdom of God? That there are people who have given their lives to Jesus because you were the co-laborer who sowed the seed of the gospel in their lives. It can also mean raising up the next generation. For those of us that have had natural children, for those that have had Hanai children, for those that have spiritual children in the church, raising up and discipling the next generation would be fruitfulness in the kingdom. All right, so we've got righteousness, we've got reproduction. Our last R is results. When God says he wants fruit, it means he wants results. When Jesus was explaining the parable of the seed, he said, but the one sown with seed on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some 100, some 60, and some 30 times as much. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying that when we receive the word of God and come to salvation in Christ, that we should then produce 30, 60, 100 more times what we received. That's results. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul was wrestling with whether it's better to be alive or to be dead because if you're dead, you're with Jesus. 
And this was his conclusion. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Paul says, yes, when I die, I'm excited to be with Jesus. But as long as I'm alive, life means fruitful labor. Labor that produces results. And finally, he wrote to the Colossians and said this, For this reason also, since the day we heard about it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So what does results mean? It means we're doing the good works God prepared for us, right? Ephesians 2.10, our favorite verse here. God prepared good works for us in advance that we might do them. Results means ministry. We're ministering to people, and we're touching people's lives. It means we're operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we're seeing those gifts that God has given us being manifested in our lives as we do things in ministry. That's results. So what do we have here? We've got righteousness, we've got reproduction, and we've got results. So what does that mean when Jesus says that we must bear fruit or we will be broken off and cast into the fire? He wants to see the fruit of righteousness in our lives. He wants to see growth in our character and our behavior. He wants to see the fruit of reproduction in our lives. He wants to see us sharing the gospel and winning people for Jesus. And he wants to see the fruit of results in our lives. He wants to see us taking the talents that we've been given and producing results in good works and in ministry. That's the fruit he wants to see. All right, it got really quiet in here. It got really quiet. The Holy Spirit must be working. All right, well, listen, I'm out of time, and I know there's a chart left in your notes, so let's fill out the chart real quick because I don't want people freak out when they still have blanks left, all right? The reason I made this chart is because I was asking myself, well, if it's so important that we remain with Jesus, and the opposite of remaining is walking away, then we want to be able to look at our lives and see evidence that we're remaining versus evidence that we've been leaving Jesus, And so I made this chart based off of this passage of Scripture we just read. What's the difference? Well, to remain is to bear fruit. To leave is to do nothing. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do anything with our lives. Like, we can still go to work. We can still get our paycheck. We can still pay our bills. We can still interact with our family. When Jesus says you can do nothing, what he's saying is you can do nothing that will produce fruit for the kingdom of God. So how do I know if I'm remaining or leaving? Well, are you producing fruit for the kingdom of God? Or are you doing nothing and just being a spectator? How about the second one? To remain means to be pruned. To leave means to be cast out. So if we're remaining, that means that the vine dresser is pruning us. What does that mean? It means things are being taken away. Pruning is not a pleasant process. But we submit ourselves to it because we trust the Father. So when we suffer and we still remain with Jesus, that shows that we are being true disciples of Christ. 
To remain means to pray to him. To leave means to do it yourself. Right? Jesus says, cry out to me and God will be glorified because I will answer your prayers. But if we're not attached to the vine, we tend to try to do everything ourselves. And prayer is just kind of like a last resort. Nothing else worked. I guess I should pray. To remain means obedience. To leave means disobedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And finally, to remain means the fullness of joy. To leave means despair. Jesus said, I have spoken these things to you so that your joy may be full, so that my joy might remain in you. Right? We know that happiness is short-term and dependent on circumstances. Joy is long-term and stays even when the circumstances are bad. Jesus wants us to have that joy. And when we're not connected, we have despair. Let me have the worship team come back up today. And we're actually going to go backwards. We're going to sing a song first, and then we're going to have the altar ministry time. But let me give you two questions to consider as we go into worship and prayer ministry. The first question is this. Are there any of the three categories of fruit in which I am not producing? Right? It's not like, well, one out of three is not bad. No. We want to be three out of three disciples. So is there any of those three categories in which I'm not producing? And if the Holy Spirit reveals one to you today, then you got to ask him, what do I need to change in my life? Because we want to be three out of three disciples. We want to be producing fruit in all three categories. The second question I want you to consider is this. Is my life showing the signs of remaining in Jesus? When I look at that chart... Is my life reflected more in the left-hand column or more in the right-hand column? And if it's more in the right-hand column, then what do I have to do to reattach myself to the vine? I want to finish by reading this paragraph to you. It's from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers in the 1800s. He was one of the most influential preachers of his day. His insight into the Word of God was profound. This particular sermon was published in 1892, the year he died, but I have no idea when he actually preached it. That's just when it was published. I want you to listen to these words of Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, and I want them to stir you with a holy conviction. So now, Spurgeon says, if you love the Lord, if you have only just believed in Him, Begin to do something for him at once. It's a pity that we have so many Christian people, so-called, who do nothing for Christ. Literally nothing. He dies for them, redeems them with his precious blood, and they have done nothing for him in return. We need to have a church in which all the members do something, in which all do all they can, in which all are always doing all they can. For this is what our Lord deserves to have from a living, loving people bought with His precious blood. If He has saved me, I will serve Him forever and ever. And whatever lies in my power to do for His glory, that shall be my delight to do and to do it at once. Amen. Come on, church, stand with me. Lord, Holy Spirit, we call upon you today. Will you begin to speak to us? 
will you begin to challenge us and stir us that we would be a people who remain, that we would be a people who produce fruits, that we would be a people willing to do whatever you ask and to do it at once. Holy Spirit, would you begin to reveal to us the areas in our lives that are not producing fruit? Would you prune us today, Father, that we might be more fruitful and more effective for your kingdom? Lord, would you show us those areas where we have walked away from the vine and the cry of our heart would be, Lord, graft us back in. Graft us back in. I want to remain in Jesus. I want to live in his house today and for all eternity. Jesus, I pray that we would be a church of three out of three disciples. There would be a fruitfulness, a multiplication of fruitfulness, an exponential fruitfulness. And that this would be a divine moment where things began to change. This would be a divine moment where we began to understand the responsibility of our calling and the purpose of our salvation. Lord, would you speak to us? Let our ears be open to hear. Let our hearts be humble to receive your guidance and your correction. But God, I also pray that we would be stirred by the word of God that we would not leave here today just saying, well, I kind of felt bad about that. No, we would leave here today saying the Holy Spirit has changed me and I'm not going to live that ineffective, fruitless life anymore. I'm not going to settle for anything less than the fruit of the kingdom, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of reproduction, the fruit of results. Speak to us today, Holy Spirit. Challenge us and change us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.